Welcome to the IAB podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the IAB UK podcast, brought to you with the help of our sponsor, Spotify. I'm James Chandler, Chief Marketing Officer here at the IAB, and thanks for joining us for episode six. Now, how diverse is the digital advertising industry? That's the big question we're asking this week, and it's a hugely important one to tackle. As ever, we've assembled an esteemed panel to talk through some of the much-needed truths and take a look toward the future. Over the rest of our 25-ish minute digital journey, we'll also be hearing about IAB UK's brand new facelift and our upcoming trip to Manchester. Plus, we get a highly efficient two-minute explainer of the digital charter and our special guest answering 10 quick-fire questions about work, life and guests at a dinner party will be Ali Finnegan from Immediate Media. So thanks for joining us. Whether you're listening to this on your commute in or you're killing time whilst queued up to see something at Adweek Europe in London, we hope that by the end of the episode, you'll feel inspired and informed about what's happening in digital advertising this week. The last 12 months inside and outside of our industry has brought diversity into a sharper focus more than ever before. At our own Leadership Summit last month, we hosted three town halls on diversity across the two days and heard about the benefits for enhanced paternity leave, passionate arguments about the role of quotas and how a complete reboot is needed in the way we attract more diverse talents into our industry. So I'm delighted to welcome Pip Jamieson, founder and CEO of The Dots, who was part of the incredible neurodiversity panel at Leadership Summit, and Cheney Robinson, who is Executive Creative Director and Omnichannel Consultant. And both of you, of course, sit on the advisory board of Creative Equals, that amazing organisation committed to making the advertising, creative and media industries more diverse. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Why don't we start with the, the sort of the broader topic of what do we mean? What do you guys mean when people talk about diversity? Well, I think uh, the common misconception is thinking about what makes us different. Mm. But I think also it's an opportunity to think about, um, you know, what we share and what makes us unique. Mm. Um, I think it's important in terms of uh, how we lead to uh, reflect uh, the larger society that we live in. And that, of course, uh, is inclusive of gender. It's inclusive of Mm. uh, different races and ages and socioeconomic groups and um, different experience. And I don't think there's any one lens of diversity that we really should be looking through. I think it's uh, multifactorial. And I think um, for me as a feminist, it's intersectional. And so really looking at um, ways that uh, we can be more inclusive mm. uh, and reflect uh, the best of the society that we live in. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Pitt? Oh, I think Jenny just nailed it. I mean, it is about <laughs> it's about representing society as a whole. It's not one person or the other. It's just, you know, we just don't reflect society. And if we're building products for society, mm. we have to have a workforce to represent society. Otherwise, we unconsciously build products for ourselves. And yeah. that's not servicing society as a whole. And it's everything Cheney said. It's gender, socioeconomic, it's minority, it's disabilities, it's embracing all our differentness so that we come up with really great different creative solutions. And when we think about differentness, neurodiversity probably isn't the one that's always in the press. You know, we're getting all the gender 
pay splits from the, uh, the the pay gaps in the various companies at the moment. Talk to us a little about neurodiversity and, and your experience with that. Yeah, I mean, I sort of stumbled on the term. Yeah. Um, and the reason being is I'm dyslexic. And I actually have on my email signature, it says delightfully dyslexic, brilliant. excuse typos. Um, anyone listening, you can steal it. It's a brilliant way to forgive every typo that you send. <laughs> um, and I actually then got contacted to start talking about dyslexia. And then the amazing Ali, who runs Creative Equals, started yeah. this brilliant neurodiversity diversity conference, which is um, a you know, cross-section of all different types. So it's like dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, autism, mm. dys, you know, ADHD, and actually focusing on the superpowers that yeah, those yeah, yeah. bring as opposed to the negatives. I mean, you know, there was an amazing talk by, you know, James Hilton, who was the founder of AKQA, yeah. and he's autistic. And the reason he's such a genius is because of his autism, not despite his autism. Yes. And I found that so empowering. And I come to believe the same in my dyslexia. You know, uh, 35% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic, 40% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic, wow. and I run a business. So yeah. I see my dyslexia as my superpower as yeah. opposed to a negative. Yeah, amazing. And we, we got into at Leadership Summit, actually, in some of the town halls, almost the attractiveness of our industry to um, to people that don't go to the right university, perhaps, or go to university at all, who, you know, don't produce the right type of work that maybe creative industries want. What do you think, Cheney, in terms of like the attractiveness of the ad industry for, for people wanting to get into it? Is it a bit of a closed shop or, or and if it is, how do we make it bigger? Well, I think, you know, the industry has been guilty of uh, hiring themselves. Mm. And so I think there has... Uh, largely not been the visibility and representation from many, many communities. Mm. Um, you know, if I if I think about the stats that, you know, Pip and I are very familiar with, you know, only 12% of creative directors in the United Kingdom are women. Mm. And uh, of that 12%, uh, only 6% of those creative directors are BAME. And then furthermore, only 1% of those creative directors are BAME women. Wow. So uh, certainly uh, I think we have the expectation that we will see ourselves mm. and we will see yeah. um, our communities and uh, what's important to us uh, re- represented uh, certainly in our industry more than it is. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's very, very troubling that uh, I've now been in the industry 21 years yeah. and I've not met another uh, black or African-American uh, chief creative officer. Wow. Um, but it is an opportunity to correct this. And I think, you know, um, I'm encouraged by the conversations that have been happening yeah. um, around these topics because it is an opportunity to uh, course correct for the future. Yeah. And Pip, across the whole spectrum... There's obviously some some stuff we have to put in place for the long term that we need to change to make it a bit more sustainable, more diverse. But they're sort of quick wins as well. I know you talked about a few on your on your panel. So tell us about those. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely no silver bullet, but mm. there's you know, in terms of, for example, dyslexics, we can't spell, um, and we do grammar is a nightmare. So just um, a lot of recruitment agents still screen for yeah, grammatical yeah. errors. So just throwing out CVs based on grammatical errors, you're suddenly missing out on these sort of genius entrepreneurial creatives. But I mean, it goes down to things like gender neutral job description. Um, It's been really interesting to understand more about autism as well and Mm. understanding that the environment where you work can be very tough and challenging for someone with autism. So if there's a lot going on in an environment, that can be very distracting. Big open plan offices. Big open plan offices, you know, um, that 
actually doesn't work if you're autistic. Um, so it's just understanding people's differences and building environments that work for those differences. And um, But there is no silver bullet. I mean, especially when it comes to gender, we're looking at, you know, trying to m- flexible working hours, um, yeah. better better support for mothers and fathers. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time. And uh, you sort of talked about it, Cheney, in terms of, you know, recognising yourself in the industry. There's unconscious bias that goes on on all sorts of levels, but I guess it's being a bit more mindful about that is the way that you're going to kind of get around and not, you know, the same person ending up hiring yourself again and again and again. And this is the type of work that I want to see. And even if you get as far as balancing gender and, uh, and perhaps seeing sort of different faces, diversity of thought, is still a really interesting one as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there's just a crazy reality. 88% of young female creatives say that they lack role models. Mm. Um, And 60% feel that they actually can't stay in the industry if they have a family. Now, what does that mean? What is that saying about our industry? Um, And 50% of the juniors are already considering leaving our industry. Mm. Um, So, you know, now is the time. You know, we have to do something about it. Um, I'm very active with DNAD. Uh, we have a program called Shift, where it's a 10-week night school, and uh, it's free. And basically, it's targeting um, people from diverse backgrounds and underserved communities yeah. that may have not had access to art school. And so when you think nice. of the typical ways that uh, recruiters may recruit and, and find talent, um, there's so many people who would not have otherwise have access to going to art school, getting those internships, getting those apprenticeships. Yeah. And we have to reflect the larger society that we live in. Yeah. And so um, I'm so proud of DNAD. I'm so proud of this program. I'm so proud of another program that they're starting called Rare, mm-hmm. which is really looking for ways to empower and inform and inspire young creatives uh, that otherwise would not necessarily have a, a, an on-ramp to opportunity. And um, I think in large part, you know, exactly what you were saying, Pip, about, you know, um, uh, redacting a name on a, on a resume yeah. or CV yeah. um, and, and having other metrics by which we're actually identifying talent. I think we also have to think about where we're looking. And I think, um, you know, uh, we need to uh, recruit differently and we need to recruit out of our own networks. And uh, I think that would bring in a whole new perspective of experience that will inform business and it will inform brand. Yeah. You mentioned role models there. I'd love to know who your role models are, perhaps, that you've looked up to. Well, I'm very inspired by Pip. <laughs> <laughs> it's all love on the IV. Right back at you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm super inspired by uh, Ali Hannon, yeah, who is Ali's the founder great. of Creative yeah, Equals. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just see the, the passion mm. and commitment for um, really inspiring the next generation of creatives, not just women, um, but all genders. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah really trying to represent voices that have not been heard um, and uh, giving uh, new audiences an opportunity to enter the industry yeah. um, because I think that will really inform 
the campaigns that we see and the stories that are told. Yeah. Uh, Pip, what about your role models? Oh, gosh, so many. I mean, I, um, in terms of, because I'm, I'm in tech, it's really yeah. hard. There's very few women yeah, yeah, yeah. in senior levels. So I love people like Holly Tucker, who started Not on the High Street. Um, people like, you know, Martha Lane Fox, who's lastminute.com. I think the, what you, you're saying around role models is so incredible because, I mean, we notice it firsthand on the dots. When I first started the platform, we actually had a masculine skew in terms of signups. Um, so what I started doing is we have a rule now that we only fe- we feature have to feature over 50% women, right. um, over 30% BAME. And we also ordered our community in terms of LGBT, socioeconomic movement. And I noticed that the makeup changed overnight the moment we were celebrating diverse yeah. talent. And it's people just wanting to see that if they can, I can. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, Chaney's this amazing light for everyone in the industry because if she can, they can. <laughs> And you, there's so many talented people that just look at the industry and don't see them see themselves, and that that is a very that's a big struggle for the industry. And I love that point on quotas, and it was a, a thorny-ish issue actually in some of the town halls, and and some people saying, well, quotas are great because they sort of give you this benchmark to judge yourself. By other people saying, wow, it's very easy to come up with a quota, and you know what are the implications of you sort of not doing it, and it sort of makes people retreat. What, what, what's your take on on sort of having a number that you need to, whether that's percent of BAME or percent of women that will sit on panel or go on stages that you'll take on? What do you think? Well, that's a fascinating question, and I I do grapple with it myself. Mm. Um, I uh, you can tell by my accent. I'm from America, <laughs> um, and I've been here for eight years. And you know, I I want to be sensitive to the culture in which um, I am mm. an immigrant, um, but I also um, have had the benefit of uh, having the EEOC in the United States, which basically um, after Jim Crow really was ensuring um, legislation that there was inclusion. And some of that inclusion (laughs) happened through quotas. And um, I think it has changed the entire landscape uh, in the United States. Now, certainly, there there are other issues, and we could spend an entire podcast talking about that. (laughs) But for the moment, uh, since we're talking about the UK, um, I I think what you don't measure, you can't change. Got it. Mm. So... Mm. um, you know, in certain uh, organizations, the numbers are so grim that I would recommend a quota. Yeah. And in others, I, I think it's really looking at the organization and the organizational design and the population um, and uh, across the talent spectrum um, and really looking what does diversity mean in that organization. Um, it means so much for a young creative to come in on the shop floor and feel immediately as though um, there's a safe environment where their ideas will be um, considered. Yeah. And do you think, Pip, it's different for tech and media as it is for creative industries? It's a different approach you need or...? I think, Jenny, that's the perfect line. If Mm. you can't measure it, how can you change it? Um, Something we do with all the companies we work with is really pushing for second interview diversity quotas. Mm -hmm. Um, And that includes in tech. And it can be harder getting yeah. getting a really diverse pool of talent to second interview. But the thing is, there's so much data on how diversity is just better for business, better for creativity, yeah. better for the long-term sustainability for teams, the better for happiness. You know, if you put that graft in 
at that earlier stage and ensure that there is diversity quotas for second interview, it will pay off dividends in the long run. And I think that's that's what it's got to be about. It's, you know, quotas are good if it means that it is actually going to improve your business in the long term. And I'm a big believer that second interview quotas will do that. That's great. And I'll leave you with this question, um, starting with you, Pip. How will we be talking about diversity in two years' time? If I had you back on the IB podcast in two <laughs> years, um, what, how will we be talking about diversity then? Well, in a utopian world, I, I wish, we, I hopefully, we wouldn't have to be talking about it. Yeah. You know, hopefully, the adjectives of being a woman or being black or being dyslexic would just move away and I'd go from being a female dyslexic founder to just a founder. Got it. Yeah. The reality is in two years I don't think we'll be there yet but I, I, what I'm so invigorated about is I think we're coming to the end of that discussion around is diversity good for business all of the brightest companies know that all of the most forward-thinking businesses we work with have just realized diversity is good for business good for creativity and good for tenure of staff so I feel like we're coming to the end of that the next problem to come to grapples with is actually what to do about it and I'm I'm really excited by that and I'm also excited by the ones that um, the companies that aren't embracing diversity as a core principle of business those are the ones that are going to fail. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's partly because they're going to be outperformed by other businesses, mm-hmm. but it's also partly driven by the millennials coming through want to work for businesses that are inclusive Absolutely. and diverse. Yeah. And if they've got picks between a business that isn't and is, they're going to go for the one that is diverse and inclusive and a happier environment. So those businesses will fail. It's now just about what can we do to move the dial. And I'm really excited that we're at that point, but I'm an optimist. <laughs> we like optimism. Uh, Cheney, two years down the line. There was a, a interesting post that I saw today. David Slocum at uh, Berlin School for Creative Leadership had uh, posted an article on um, how diversity and diverse leadership in particular um, boosts innovation. Mm. You know, it's it's great and it's better for humanity. And um, I I really... I really think that it will benefit business and it will benefit uh, society and how we treat one another. And um, I see that organizations that make diversity important are often the values-based and mission-based organizations. And I think um, people perform better when they have a purpose. And um, I think that really is the way of the future. And I think that is the the change I'd like to see in our industry. That's great. And in terms of data, I think some of the really other interesting research that's coming out is, you know, that teams are happier that are diverse. So actually Creative Equals did this brilliant piece of research where your teams are 45% happier and 48% more likely to stay in a business if their teams are diverse and inclusive. Now, Looking at the industry where there is a high churn rate, a lot of agencies would not admit how high, but they did very high. If you're making your teams happier and you're not churning through so much talent, that's a massive business saving as well. Yeah, incredible. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Pip. Thank you, Jenny. Anytime. Lovely. At the IAB, we're committed to helping demystify the trickier bits of this industry. So each week, we take a complex issue relating to policy, standards, privacy, regulation or measurement and boil it down into a nugget-sized, easily digestible two-minute explanation. This week, we're talking about the Digital Charter. And to explain everything you need to know, it's Christy Dennehy-Neal, who is our Senior Public Policy Manager at the IAB. Hello, Christy. Hi, James. Let's get straight into it, shall we? In a nutshell, what is the Digital Charter? 
It probably helps to say what the Digital Charter isn't. So it's not a one-off document written on vellum, you know, signed and sealed with wax. It's an umbrella term for a programme of work that the government's taking forward, which is still at a relatively early stage, but it basically has two broad aims, which is to make the UK the safest place to go online and to make the UK the best place to start and run a digital business. So it's really about harnessing the benefits of technology whilst making sure people have got the right the right sort of protections and safeties online. Got it. Uh, and what specifically does it mean for digital advertising? Good question. Um, so there's lots of strands of work that are within the digital charter and the government's doing lots of, you know, behind the scenes sort of exploring issues couple of the things that that could potentially touch on digital advertising are around things like data ethics or beyond the rules about how we use the data, Mm -hmm. how should we use it, Um, things looking at disinformation and misleading information online. The one specific thing that we do have details on and is definitely going to touch on digital advertising is the review of press sustainability. Obviously, digital advertising has a big role to play in funding online Mm. content. The government's really keen to ensure that there are viable, sustainable business models for funding high-quality content online. And so as part of that, they've got an expert panel that's going to look into what the options are there. Mm -hmm. And they'll be looking at the digital advertising supply chain, how it can support high quality content, whether it currently incentivizes, for example, sharing or spreading of fake news, Mm -hmm. whether it's operating fairly, whether content creators are being rewarded properly, that kind of thing. So that's something that's definitely going to mean something for digital advertising. And for people listening to this, how, how can they find out more? So there's lots of information on gov.uk that DCMS has published about the Digital Charter. And if you want any more details, just email the team on policy at iabuk.com. Brilliant. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. And as Christy said, for everything the IAB does around policy, including guidance, fact sheets and our own brilliant monthly newsletter, Policy Focus, visit iabuk.com forward slash policy. And it's worth mentioning that forward slash policy is where you'll find all of our resources relating to the very fast approaching GDPR. The last two weeks have been manic at IABHQ. We've launched a brand new website and refreshed our brand identity. We've been prepping for two of the biggest events we'll put on this year. And we've also managed to feature in campaigns best 50 places to work, which I should say we were absolutely delighted with. Thank you, campaign. Joining me to get into the detail of all the above is Frankie Gelardi from Events and Training and Brad Moss from our comms team, who has spent the last few months down in the engine room booting up our brand new website. Brad, it's live. It's live indeed, James. Explain to us what's great about the new site. Well, it is a monumentous task mm. that we have had, um, but we wanted to bring it into the 21st century, wanted it to be at the forefront of digital advertising, um, and it's gone alongside our brand refresh as well. Yeah. So one of the major things that we've done is our new search functionality. So there's loads of really cool filters and stuff. So if you want to learn about GDPR or Mm -hmm. viewability, all the content should come up when you search. There's also the new jargon buster because digital is, you know, very, very jargony indeed. So um, you can find out all the array of all the acronyms that there is in the world on our jargon buster. It's great. Um, 
also, um, it's just easy to showcase, you know, what we do and see the best of the IB and it's easy to book our events as well and all our training, um, see our research, our digital ad spend studies out in April as well. So it should be kind of a nice, easy place to see all our resources. And specifically on ad spend and actually all the best bits about the site um, are members only. So really important that you're logged in and all yeah, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So and also you, if you are a, a member and you have a login, you need to just reset your passwords. Just go to the homepage um, and click login, change your password. Nice. Very easy. Perfect. So Frankie, events-wise, we're off up north. We're off to Manchester. We are indeed. We're going outside the M25. We're really excited. Um, I think it's our third one that we're doing. We took a year out last year. Um, so we're really excited to go back. It's called Digital Britain. Um, we've got a really good lineup. So we've got Spotify, Google, Quantcast, Mindshare, Sam Mobile. Um, we've got Tracy Follows, who we have had before. She's amazing. She's brilliant. Um, so she's going to talk all about like futuristic stuff. She comes up with some really cool stuff. So definitely one not to miss. Are there any tickets left? There are some tickets left, yes. Um, and as Brad said, uh, you need to log in uh, to make sure you get yep. either a free space, so it's free for agencies and advertisers, mm-hmm. and it's discounted for members. So you need to make sure you've logged in, changed your password so you get the discount or the free ticket. Amazing. Of course, that's not the only thing you're working on at the moment. We've got Engage, which is happening in June this year. Yep. So Engage is going to happen on the 7th of June this year. Previously, it's been in October. It's our 14th year, which is absolutely mad. The speakers were announced on Tuesday. Oh, we've got some amazing speakers. We do. We've got um, Steve Bartlett from yep. Social Chain. We've got Polly Curtis from HuffPost. Yep. And then we've got uh, the brilliant Tom Goodwin. Yes. He's just like got, you know, an amazing number of followers and he's, you know, incredible on LinkedIn. So he will be at his provocative best down at the Barbican, I'm sure. He absolutely will. So expect over about a thousand people as mm. usual and we are super excited. Yeah, can't wait for Engage. And top 50 places to work was some amazing news, wasn't it, Brad? We were in great company, weren't we? We were indeed with alongside some fantastic agencies such as Stink Studios, Seven Stars, um, Manning Gottlieb, OMD. So it's really, really, really cool news. So, so maybe to finish then, um, the single best thing about working at the IAB from both of you, starting with you, Frankie? Uh, So I've been asked this question quite a lot since I've worked here, and the Mm. answer is always the people. Everyone is awesome. But also, I always get a lot of leftover food after the events for free, so that's always a plus. Good point. Uh, Brad, (laughs) um, uh, something tells me your answer is going to be vaguely similar. I mean, I do really like food. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, should be obese. (laughs) However, um, yeah, the people make, make the place. It's a great place to work. Nice. Perfect. Thank you so much to you both. Thank you, Frankie. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Thanks. James. 1200. It's the year the University of Paris received its charter from King Philip II of France, and it's also the number of organisations that make up the IAB's membership. So every week we celebrate one by inviting someone from a different member company to spend one minute answering as many of our ten quickfire questions as they can. This week we're joined by the brilliant Ali Finnegan of Immediate Media. Welcome, Ali. Hello, hello. So the rules are simple. 60 seconds to answer ten questions. Are you ready? Yes. Who would be the three guests you'd invite to your dead or alive dinner party? Uh, Barack Obama, Sandy Toxvig and Billy Bragg. What was the last picture you posted on Instagram? Oh, I'm not on Instagram. 
What's the one song you put on when you've got a deadline and are desperate to get some work done? Mm, something fast, probably the strokes. What job would you be doing if you didn't work in digital advertising? A travel writer. In what format do you keep your to-do list? Print. How many other languages can you count from one to ten in? Um, Spanish, German, French, five. Tell us something about yourself we wouldn't find on Wikipedia. I spent five months travelling around Africa when I was 22. The high point was meeting the gorillas and the low was nearly drowning in the Zambezi River. That's incredible. That's the second time that's happened on this podcast. Amazing. Who would play you in a biopic of yourself? Mm, Olivia Coleman. Hummus or hummus? Oh, hummus. And the most obscure piece of feedback you've ever been given? (laughs) Uh, You're a great generalist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ali, that's your 10 questions. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, Spotify, and thank you for tuning in for episode six. We hope it's been enjoyable, even if all you've learned is that the Zambezi is more dangerous than we actually thought. We'll be back in two weeks, where we'll have another set of guests talking about the big issues in our industry and what promises to be a belter of a 10 quickfire questions round. And if you haven't caught up yet on our essential insights and nuggets of leadership gold from behind the scenes at last month's Leadership Summit, be sure to go back and take a listen to episode five. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe and share with anyone else you think might be interested. The more comments and ratings you give us, the more easily others can find us in all the usual places you get your podcasts from. And in the meantime, as ever, if you want more information about what the IAB does and how you can get in touch with us, find us online at our new address, iabuk.com or at IABUK on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. The IAB Podcast from SNK Studios.